Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Vidangi Kulkarni, and you're listening to Wheel Suckers Podcast. Today we're talking to Fadangi about how not to cycle the world, what you would say to your 18-year-old self, and the Silk Road mountain race. Hi, I'm your Captain Alex, and I was raised on a tandem, and I'm an ex-cycling industry goof, and I'm with my stoker. Jenny Stoken here. I am the director of the London Bike Kitchen. I am the author of How to Build a Bike, and also chair of the Women of Colour Cycling Collective. Hello, guest. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> Hello, I'm Vidangi, and I am a 22-year-old adventure traveler. I love to ride my bike. I absolutely love to ride my bike. Uh, ideally, consistent speed and long distances. <laughs> um, and I run a business called The Adventure Shed, through which I manage expeditions of all sorts, like literally all sorts. And yeah, I'm currently training for Silk Road Mountain Race and a couple other kind of big expeditions. But yeah, that's, and oh yeah, and usually like, um, I think what I'm known by is um, in 2018, I rode my bike around the world and it was a failed attempt to be the fastest woman to ride my bike around the world. Um, but I happened to become the youngest one by the time I was done. So that was great. But yeah, that's that's what I'm kind of known for. <laughs> do, you, do you want to talk a bit more about that? Because it's interesting how you say it was a failed attempt. But I mean, you did it. So can you explain oh. a bit more about how that works? <laughs> okay, so... Back in 2017, the 18-year-old Vadangi decided that it would be a great idea to email Guinness about how she would like to become the fastest woman to circumnavigate the globe on bicycle. So she did. So she kind of emailed them and she kind of registered herself for this Guinness World Records and got a big kind of, um, not booklet, but information about how to set this record. So it involves 29,000 kilometers of actually riding your bike. Um, you have to always be going just in one direction, so unidirectional travel, uh, crossing two antipodal points. So that's like two points on the exact opposite parts of the earth. Um, and for me, they were Madrid in Spain and Wellington in New Zealand. And I reckon you have to use just 
the one bike that you started with. And yeah, so there's, there's like kind of some rules and said, oh yeah, and also you can't go back on yourself. So all of those things I signed up for. And then I was like, oh, you know what? We got to spice it up. We don't just want to break the record. We got to smash the record. So I was like, cool. I'm going to tell everyone that I want to ride my bike around the world in 100 days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then obviously before I actually said anything, I had to try so I had to like you know see what I could do so I just kind of um I did my first kind of 300 kilometers or more kind of rides and then I was like okay let's try this like day after day and I tried it for a week and it worked ish like you know I was I was really tired and your I body felt... was was cooperating though yeah it was and I even had like a slight knee injury and in spite of that it was not too bad so like, you know, it, it was kind of manageable and I was like, you know what, it's, it's going to happen. Like I'm going to, I'm going to uh, put it out there that I want to do this in 100 days, which would mean riding 200 miles each day. And, um, wow, like 200 each day. Yeah. Like six odd days of kind of transit and four days of, uh, you know, contingency, uh, needless to say, that didn't happen until, well, actually, I say that, but halfway through, I was like, in, in 55 days, I was like 9,020 miles in. So technically, I was doing all right at, at, until like, at some point, until my halfway point, I was doing all right. Um, it's after that, that a lot of things kind of went wrong one after another and didn't quite help. Um, but yeah, so that was the idea to do a round the world record attempt um and i had read somewhere that obviously um guinness don't do the youngest attempt like you know the youngest records anymore so i was kind of like it's it's all right that they don't do youngest but i'll know and i'm pretty sure anyone who follows these things will know that it like nobody at the age of like 19 has ever kind of done that and that's the age I was going to be when I was going to set off um so yeah that was kind of what I had signed up for essentially <laughs> nice um do you want to talk a bit about what went wrong then we, yeah sadly we do all love to hear about things that went wrong <laughs> well, that's great actually because uh yeah those are the things that actually kind of matter isn't it yeah anyone else is gonna do it but yeah for me um everything started and finished with visa issues but Mm. also obviously um there were other kind of issues that also happened but it started with visas basically um at my halfway point i had to spend like seven or was it yeah almost a week if not no just less than a week to try and get my Canadian, not Canadian, sorry, Schengen visa sorted. Um, so literally Halifax was just around the corner from where I was meant to fly to um, Portugal. But what ended up happening was that at Ottawa, I still didn't have my Schengen visa. And that wasn't something that I could apply for before leaving because um, you can only apply for a visa three months before you get to a certain country. So like from your date of entry. Um, And because I was in Canada on a tourist visa, it was just, it was just not going to happen. You know, it was just like really hard. So I was just um, knocking on different embassy doors, essentially, and just going, 
hey, I see you're a European embassy. Can you can you give me an entry? Can you give me a visa? Like, and then obviously I had letters from the Indian External Affairs Ministry. I had letters from the Prime Minister of India and everything. Wow. So it was like it was a pretty big deal that you know. Uh, <laughs> so you were doing this on a, an Indian passport. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. I still hold an Indian passport, and uh, that just even to start with that really didn't help. But yeah. then, of course, mm-hmm. like the visa troubles uh, set me back a little bit. But then I, when I flew to Iceland, uh, because Danish embassy issued visas for Iceland in Ottawa, and they were the only ones who agreed to give me a visa. So I was like, you know what? fuck it, going to Iceland, went to Iceland, and one of the worst storms the country's ever seen um, happened to be around that time of the year. You're like, great, like, that just doesn't help. So I was still like, you know what, I can still go and ride. So I was riding, I rode for like 65 something kilometers, and the drivers there are horrible to start with, but also the winds and the rain. So I had headwind for the whole time, headwinds and crosswinds a little bit. And the gusts were like really, really strong, like 70 miles per hour or something. And basically it was so bad that the cars couldn't see me. I couldn't see any vehicles. And I was going at like eight kilometers per hour. (laughs) And it was just, it was just horrible. And hours and hours later, um, eventually the whole, kind of, you know, cars not being able to see me uh, didn't quite work well for me, which meant that uh, a van, no, not a van, like a minibus kind of thing, um, hit me and I just <gasps> hit my head onto um, this, um, yeah, onto a curb and oh just fell basically. And yeah, I was a bit shaken up by that. But then mm. shortly after, um, I decided that, um, well, did they yeah, stop? No, they didn't, they went. But then the road was closed after that. So they, because they closed the whole kind of route because uh, the route across Southern Iceland, they closed it because um, there was a red weather warning for many kind of vans and stuff. So, so yeah, safe to say, like, I decided not to ride across Iceland. Flew to Portugal and I was like, great, like, I'm going to smash this. It's going to be great. And... Yeah, like, um, what ended up happening was after Portugal, when I got to Spain, I don't even remember if it was day one or two in Spain, but basically I got mugged at knife point and we are talking a couple of motorcyclists, uh, well, two people on one motorcycle. They basically were stalking me for a while. And I was like, no, I'm not scared. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. But then, yeah, eventually, basically, um, they pushed me off of my bike. One of them was taking stuff from my bike and another one just kind of held, like, he was, like, shouting something and, like, with the knife in front of me. And the next thing I know, the knife was, like, at, at my neck. Oh my um, god. There's not much you can do when that's happening. No. Um no. but yeah. Basically got pushed around a bit and got a bit beaten up and it was a bit like it was a horrible like like yeah, it was genuinely horrible. Like even now sometimes if I see like a knife lying around here and there, I'm kind of like, I'm gonna put the put that knife where it goes. Mm. I just cannot see it just staring at me like that. But yeah, yeah. anyway, uh back to the incident. Basically yeah, I was seeing this guy just take stuff off of my bike. And he wasn't just taking stuff. He was just taking stuff off of my bike and throwing it. 
like looking into and throwing it and that was just like very annoying because I was like what on earth is wrong with you but anyway like they weren't taking stuff they were just seeing oh, they something was take... valuable yeah 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 they were and that was really strange and something that I couldn't yeah I, I was very confused with what was happening but also like because obviously when you're thrown around and you're just you know you don't have my I, oh yeah in the middle of that I took my helmet off to hit someone with it because um I thought that would be a great idea and as it turns out it was like one of the lightest helmets laser made at oh, the no. time so yeah that, that was like feather light what, what, what harm is that gonna do I know right um <laughs> So yeah, basically, um, that was like the beginning of the end. And yeah, after, like before they kind of went off or, uh, from like taking everything, they threw me down like the side of the road and I knew like it went down a little because I was going uphill and I went down head first and I think I was unconscious. Uh, because I don't remember much from like around that time and then I do remember that there was like a third which was like my bike landing on me uh, which didn't help either um, it, like yeah like you know what like when you have like just a normal crash and your bike any parts of your bike hit you it hurts when but when a bike is thrown on you Ouch. it hurts even more yeah um, but yeah uh, anyway after that I couldn't remember my phone's passcode so like you know the rest is kind of like yeah um, but the thing is I decided that I couldn't go back to the UK because my visa was curtailed I was on a student visa at the time I couldn't go to India because I was like oh no like people might I just I just didn't want to I was like I don't feel at home there I just don't want to go there and the only place I really did feel at home was just like riding my bike but I was throwing up I couldn't I couldn't keep food down I couldn't yeah. you're in shock balance yeah and I just I just couldn't understand what's going on but this really kind gas station guy um offered to help me out and then he took me for a coffee somewhere like near this motel and then the, there was a family which spoke more English than the gas station guy did and took me to a hospital and the hospital people were like I, I like kind of vaguely remember they were trying to um, say something on the lines of we need to admit you here and I just remember panicking I was like no way like no nobody's admitting me like that so yeah uh, but the, the family was like we, we can host you at ours and then I went to theirs for like a meal or so but then I ended up telling them like you know what I'm gonna go to a motel and uh, stay there so they booked me somewhere mm, went there and it was literally a room without windows and with this very dim yellow light and my bike was there I was kind of just sitting there going what the what am I doing and everything was spinning I just remember like lying on my with like my back on the bed and just staring at the ceiling and I was like wow like the world is spinning it feels very like it's like moving in different directions it, it felt like I was on drugs or something that's really strange mm. but then 
I also realized that if I stayed there for like longer, any longer, that was not going to be good for me. So decided it was best that I get back on the road. And it started with literally like 40 or 50 kilometers. And then I was just dead because my body couldn't handle it. It started with that and then a little bit like 100 kilometers and then 100 miles. And then, you know, slowly by the time I was like around Belgium, Denmark, that sort of direction. Oh, not Belgium, Denmark. I was in Belgium when I was like, okay, I feel like I can get better. And then by the time I was in Denmark, I was like, yeah, I, I think I'm like definitely getting better. So I started like upping my mileage to like 300 and stuff like again but then obviously I hit Russia and um, again I had visa issues <laughs> because my Russian visa ex had expired Oh no. so I had to get a new one um, and I paid for an express visa but they took like eight days to get it so the day I applied I was like well if they're saying they're not going to give it to me like right away so I'm just going to book myself on a flight to Lapland so I went to the northernmost airport in Finland so what was it Ivalo yeah Ivalo um, then took a bus to Inari and then explored the icy forest <laughs> around there because so you, why like, not took a, you took a break yeah eight days that was perfect <laughs> like you know that when I was back I had my visa and I was like and and my friends um so one of my best friends he's Finnish and his mom lives um in Helsinki and um mom's partner his mom's partner he owns a bike shop so they kitted my bike with winter gear so changed my tires made sure I had everything for like you know Russian winter essentially so because it was what like mid-November or something so mm. it's gonna get like pretty cold um and yeah <laughs> and Russian winter was very wintry uh <laughs> yeah I, I I I hadn't thought I was like early winter it's not gonna be that bad uh oh was I wrong it was it was quite cold uh for the the all the days that I was there actually um and for most of them I was literally like finding places to camp at so all of it was like the combination of things that went wrong but things that were also like obviously the mugging wasn't under my control but deciding to go on was under my control and that was like a decision that I had taken so I don't know if I can count that as things that went wrong um but yeah even like visa things i never know whether to say that they were things that went wrong but then again they were not under my control either um yeah but do you so think yeah. that having because you had an indian passport and you're trying to get into like european countries because if you don't again if you don't have the right papers racism is at work it's it's institutionalized yeah, racism <laughs> And Definitely. they're like, sorry, we're going to make this really hard for you to get into our country because we don't, we don't trust you, I think is the subtext, right? Yeah. And also we don't think you have enough money because that was yeah. also like, uh, <laughs> that was also kind of really, um, really strange um, that, um, if... I don't know. So every time I had to apply for a visa, there was a list of documents that I knew I needed. So stuff like um, my bank account, um, what's it called? Statements, bank statements for the last six months to 12 months, for example. 
So like they needed to know that I had enough money and then I had to prove that I had a certain number of, um, I don't know, a certain euros per day to be yeah. in a certain country kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and all of that for like a number of days. And then what's my kind of, you know, where am I going from there? So like an onwards ticket for something. So there are, that was like the biggest issue because I didn't have an on, onwards ticket, did I? Like I was going to ride across. So that made things slightly harder. Yeah. So um, <laughs> It's so horrible. They, like, they're like literally saying, we want to make sure you're not staying here. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah, it, it did make it really hard. And also like a letter of... Um, What's it called? Letter of invitation, that one. Letter of invitation from someone in Europe. Yeah, um, like you're staying with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Accommodation arrangements, that's one. And yeah, like, you know, what sort of travel will you be taking within the country, this and that. Did you have to have those actually prepared? Yeah, I, I was meant to like show an itinerary that I had. Wow. So that was where the letters from the external ministry of India, the prime minister of India, the foreign, not foreign, sorry, the sports ministry of India, all of those letters came in handy when I had to do this stuff. Yeah. But then those letters weren't my get out of jail card. I, I still had to show that I had enough money, which most of the times I don't like, I just, I never did. Mm-hmm. So I had to just be like, I, 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 there was a point where I had to actually be, ask my friends if I could have certain, like, just to make sure I had, like, a certain amount in my kind of bank, and then I would, like, return it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the minute I'd submitted the document, or the minute I got the visa, I would just send back the money to them, because, like, I clearly didn't need it. I was going to be sleeping on streets, essentially, so oh. I didn't need that. But, Yeah. That was like an interesting experience, the whole visa thing. And also like to start with, I I don't know if you remember, but Canadian visa, my Canadian visa was rejected to start with because they didn't believe in my reasons to um, kind of be in Canada and then they didn't believe that I was going to (laughs) leave. Why would they not believe you? (laughs) I think I still have that letter and every time I see that, I'm just like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Why is this such an issue? Like half of Canada is like Indians anyway. But yeah. It's just, again it's I, immigration yeah. like and power trips I think yeah. sometimes. And maybe possible quotas, you know. <laughs> Don't be mean to this many people. <laughs> or they have to make themselves look like they're being tough on immigration. Yeah, yeah they don't want it to they don't want it to seem easy or <laughs> yeah. trying to scare people. They tried it on the wrong person, didn't they? Because <laughs> oh, I I um, got in touch with the Foreign and External Affairs Ministry of India at the time, and I said to them that um, look, like I I need to have this visa by this date. Um, do everything that you can, and they gave me a letter. They called up the uh, they called up VFS. No, they called up the Canadian Embassy, who then called coordinated with the VFS Global in London and somehow I I went there I showed a letter and then they already knew who I was and what was going on so they were like okay you can come back in three days to pick your passport up and I just knew for a fact that 
they could have given my passport back the same day. I just knew that it was going to be a deal done because it was like, you know, it was a conversation that happened in the, on the ministry level rather than, you know, someone like me. Yeah. But yeah. that's, I mean, I hate to say like you're lucky, but I mean, in some sense. Yeah, definitely though, because like to, but then again, like, we didn't already have contact in the external affairs ministry or anything <laughs> because I knew that this these issues were going to crop up. I made sure that I had some contacts that so I introduced myself to a million people that otherwise wouldn't have like known my existence just because I was like, you know, someday I think this will be useful for me. Yeah. So it worked. It was, yeah, it, it worked. Yeah. At least with this. And my dad helped with that quite a bit because I am not the one to deal with like politicians and stuff, but like, you know, as a, as a, as an Indian woman, like if you're dealing with like, um, middle-aged or slightly older kind of politicians, like they're, they're not going to take you seriously, which is where like my dad came in and I was like, right, like, here's what I need from you. Here's who you need to get in touch with. And here's what you're saying. And he's really smart. Like he, he, <laughs> he got he the job in, done. Is yeah. he in politics? No, he's not. No, no, he's not. Absolutely not. He's not. But he kind of was kind of, he's like, he's very keen on networking. Let's put it that way. That's good. And he was running a business at the time. So he was like, you know, extra keen because, you know, he saw something there for him as well. So that was great. But yeah, dad's always been like super helpful with these things. Um, so yeah, that, that was like the whole kind of visa thing though. <laughs> yeah. Can I just start a, ask a quick logistical question? Where did you start and end your trip? Ooh, I started and finished at Perth, Australia. Uh-huh. So Perth was, okay, yeah. <laughs> Don't ask why, because that's like, that's a question for 18-year-old Vedangi who planned the route. <laughs> and I will never understand the 18-year-old Vedangi because she was just a bit insane. Like, she thought, oh yeah, Australia in winter, New Zealand in winter, and everything else in summer. That sounds like a great idea. And now a word from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by our Third Wheels. Want to support Jenny and Alex? Become a Third Wheel supporter and help us make episodes in 2021. Give us a one-off saddle push with a donation or become a three pounds a month stabilizer or a five pounds a month Third Wheel. Visit wheelsuckerspodcast.com for details. We have retreated to the comfort of our homes to digitally record the Wheelsuckers podcast, which is now edited by Wardour Studios. Wardour have remained strong, providing professional recordings and editing in these unusual times. Let their team of engineers, producers and composers be your guide. Visit wardourstudios.co.uk for more. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We had an interview with you before you set off and you've already listened to it i thought we could do a, a little bit of if you've watched drag race they get a photo out <laughs> but it would be 18 year old for dangy like you mentioned <laughs> oh but, yeah um yeah we're interested for listeners to kind of hear like what your thoughts were like listening back to yourself how you feel you've changed but is there like what would you say to your younger self now having known what you've been through Mm. that's a very deep question <laughs> is it um, too deep too soon? <laughs> <laughs> i think when i listened to that recording my first thoughts were see that's bullshit <laughs> you don't know what's coming your way that's just mm. like you know stop talking just shut up <laughs> uh, but again that's also like the reaction of most people who listen to their own voices you know um I think I think in order to in order to you know in order to make myself look big I was trying to show myself as somebody that I wasn't so I was trying in in order to look confident I slightly crossed that border to overconfident which probably at the time served me well in some senses but when I listened to that interview I can see who I was trying to be like, I can see what I was trying to do, what I was thinking, and I, I kind of think that I just didn't realise that by being myself, I could get a lot further than I would with that kind of attitude, with kind of, you know, being slightly overconfident, because overconfident and arrogant has never been me like you know but then again the world keeps you know talking about how confidence is the key to all big things and all that do you stuff say so confidence is key yeah but like I, at yeah. the time i faked it but i faked it wrong i faked overconfidence rather than confidence like you know like i didn't i didn't i didn't i didn't know where the line was and that's what i realized when i listened to that i was kind of like also, I listened to that and I was looking at, I was looking at the wrong things. I gave everyone so much credit and I forgot to appreciate the fact that, hey, like I'm, an, I'm 18 and when I'll be 19, I'll be riding my bike around the world and that's a pretty big deal. Like not everyone comes up with these things and gets on with it right away and I'm actually doing this and I didn't give myself credit at all I was just like oh yeah I was lucky oh yeah like this happened that happened they helped me like you know and it's all about 
everyone else who kind of, you know, like whose shoulders I was standing on, which was very much true. But if I had shown a little bit more belief in myself, I think I would have, my journey would have been happier. I think that's what like I saw like kind of lacking. So if I had to say something to like Vedangi back then, I would probably be like, just believe in yourself a little bit more. And obviously you can't make someone believe in themselves that they just have to feel it. Mm-hmm. But so maybe the experiences that I had between then and now were extremely important for that. But at the same time, I, I see myself, like I listen to myself from back then and I just think that I should have had slightly more belief in myself. Not, I'm not talking about confidence, I'm saying belief, the quiet belief that you can have in yourself that then at some point induces confidence. You don't have to always just fake it. Sometimes you can just quietly believe in it and it happens when it happens. So I feel like that's something I would tell 2018 Vidangi. <laughs> was that too deep? No, no I, think, I, think I think that was very really... wise. Yeah. It was very wise. I, I think... I think it's interesting because me and Jenny, we we say fake it, so you make it quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and we've we've kind of been joking and saying that to each other and throughout like our lives. Yeah, but I think I think you have to have those experiences to learn it. So it's kind of it's an interesting one. I think it's a tricky one because it's not that simple. That's finding that balance, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you don't quite get it, like. Unless you've had certain experiences, you don't quite get it, do you? Like, <laughs> you kind of have to go through those things, as you said. <laughs> Let's talk about the future. What are you writing towards? What are you working on now? Um, so currently, I run a business called The Adventure Shed. And through The Adventure Shed, I plan and manage expeditions and adventures for the people. And also have a couple of digital products out there so one's called adventure planning crash course which is an online course to help people kind of plan their own adventures and another one is called adventure planning blueprint which is like an all-in-one planning kind of system where which people can download the template of and use for planning their adventures and expeditions and it's like fully customizable so like anyone can use it and it will kind of still be useful for whatever you're planning to do um but yeah apart from that like just planning and managing expeditions but also i have some of my own plan so next up is this um actually starts next weekend uh, <laughs> a 1000 kilometer bike ride in southwest region of the UK so the idea is that um, I was looking at all the routes that I used to ride back in like 2016-2017 I used to just look at the map and be like hey look that looks like an interesting place let me ride there or you know stuff like that so what I wanted to do was and, and just like that, I had discovered like Devon, Cornwall, different areas of Dorset, like some areas of Somerset and Hampshire and things like that. And I wanted to put together a 1000 kilometer loop through like gravel routes and some kind of um, B roads, so like country roads and stuff, um, kind of like a bikepacking route with key locations with some sort of adventurous interests, so places where I would wild camp, places that you can um, 
go for like a wild swim. Um, I want as many destinations for wild swimming as possible because I'm absolutely falling in love with that. Um, places where you can just stash your bike, climb up a hill and back, you know, just just because why not? And the whole idea came from how adventure is what you make of it. So initially I was like, oh yeah, this 1000 kilometer route, I'm just going to do 300 a day and smash it. And then I was like, hang on there, I want this to be like a holiday, a more kind of relaxed space. Yeah, like just over, you know, it's not a race. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so like 100, and, 100, 120 kilometers per day. And then I would do all these other things or I would go wild swimming or go like, you know, scrambling or whatever. I'll find like a good location to camp overnight. I'll cook myself some food outside of my stove and it'll be like a date with myself <laughs> and over multiple days. And you know, how cool would that be? And throughout lockdown I'd be raving about how much I want to do this and it started with just being like a personal project and now it's like a professionally filmed project with like so many brands involved and everything so it's it's like it's really interesting something that I'm definitely looking forward to um in August I am headed to Kyrgyzstan Ooh. for Silk Road, Silk Road. Race, yeah uh part two We'll see if this time I get to the start line without killing myself, almost. Uh, <laughs> well, what happened last time? I, I fell over the handlebars on my way to the start line. Oh, no. Can you believe? And I got I got a very um I had I got a bad case of concussions and concussion and I had damaged my ribs so I couldn't breathe properly. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so um I, tr I I rode for like seventy five kilometers while I was being like delirious, throwing up blood and stuff, and it was it was horrible. And I was like, I know it's raining and it's cold, but like. Why am I able to see properly? I swear this has never happened before. Um, then I realized, oh shit, this happens in Spain, of course. Oh yeah, and my helmet is cracked. Oh, that's what's happened. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was how um, Silk Road ended for me before it even started. But yeah, hopefully this Silk Road isn't like yeah. Fingers crossed. I fingers, I'm fingers I am crossed. My mantra for the Silk Road is that this is an adventure, not a race. I know it's a race. I know. I respect that very much. But if I do not convince that it, or convince myself that it is an adventure before it's anything else, I will put myself in like a dangerous situation again, which I don't want to right away. Like, you know, I want to get in the groove. I want to do like the mileage I planned for the first three days. And then I know I'll feel confident about myself and I'll, push myself um you've mentioned that you've gotten lots of sponsors before and i think that's something a lot of people are curious about and i'd like to know what makes a good sponsorship proposal um i feel like something that's well researched and unique to a certain brand so it's not about what you kind of talk about within the proposal well no actually it is a lot about what you talk about within the proposal so like talking about the story talking about what you actually need from the brand but also then talking more about the brand than about yourself and then tailoring everything to their needs so at the time like in back in like 2018 i would have thought 
sending hundreds of proposals mattered the most. Whereas now I really do think that researching the brand, knowing what they actually do need, and then tailoring everything to their needs and making an offer that they wouldn't refuse, they can't refuse, because they are only gonna like the way I see it now is to offer something that only you can offer. And that's the value that's like the, that's the usb like only you can do that particular thing that you're offering to that brand and only you can add that value it's not easy is it with sponsors <laughs> no it's no really it's not like sometimes sides. you think it's almost gonna work and then it doesn't and it's disappointing but also by doing by actually sending that proposal out and tailoring it to the brand it makes the brand remember you and I think that's worked really well for, like, in my personal experience. Um, I'm not going to, like, name brands, but there was a brand that had rejected me back then, which sponsors me now. And that's only because I pitched something that I knew, like, was slightly unique. And that was, like, the only thing that I had actually, like, that was the only brand that I had, like, taken that, that much effort in researching and you know tailoring the proposal to and then they rejected saying that this is not the right time but you know we will remember you for next time and what we're like talking three years later and obviously it may be because of the fact that I did kind of do the round the world and um, <laughs> uh, that was all right but like still like they remembered me from the proposal and they put two and two together and kind of got back in touch asking to kind of work with me and I thought that was like really cool because that kind of really showed that the research and tailoring everything to them and uh, certain aspects of the proposal actually worked. It was very validating, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, I think that's a, a really fair point though that you can reach out to people and it not be the right time for them. And actually just creating that like contact or connection with a brand could play out later. Um, actually, because it happens a lot with like video game streamers where they're always encouraged to try and get a sponsor. And it feels very much like cycling where it's like, not only are you actually being the person doing it, but you have to be your own agent and manager on top of that. Yeah, no pressure. That's asking a lot of people. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think... I'd like to say I'll just reach out and see what happens, but still, it's not that simple. Because I don't think, you know, saying from the other side, I don't always think companies and sponsors understand what they can get from working with cyclists. Yeah. I don't think they realise, yeah, just reaching out and working with the people who are out there in the field can be really, really powerful. Yeah. So we always like to find out about new, interesting accounts. It's one of the best ways to recommend our podcast, but maybe you could recommend other podcasts. <laughs> but um, it doesn't have to be cycling. I just think it's always really nice to hear what other accounts people like engage with and what they enjoy. So we'd love to get three of your recommendations. Ooh, I think my first recommendation would be Mark Randolph. He is the he was the co-founder of Netflix, and he has an account called that will never work he also has a book with that name and i i love following him i think his account is one of those accounts that i go on twitter to actually see what's what what he's posted every now and again so i think that that's like an account that i really enjoy following and also i think he also like posts on instagram with the same name that will never work um another one 
is an adventure traveler called well she's more of a traveler than adventurer but then her recent journeys have been pretty adventurous so i'm gonna go with adventure traveler called eva zubek she is a youtuber mainly and has over a million subscribers and her like other kind of social media channels are like over half a million followers and everything as well so you know she's a pretty big deal and um by some luck i've been able to like chat to her a few times now and the content she posts is incredibly it's unique like it, like the stories she tells and the way she tells them are very i don't know how to put it like well thought so you know it's not like a, your average travel channel it's very kind of interesting and i absolutely love following her so yeah eva is somebody i love to follow um and then where can we find you oh me uh i am at wheels and words on facebook no sorry on instagram and twitter so wheels and words on instagram and twitter uh, my website is www.vedangikulkarni.com my business website is www.theadventureshed.com um and yeah on facebook i'm just vedangikulkarni so whatever your preferred um, social media channel is, you can find Vidangi. <laughs> <laughs> cool. It was really good to catch up with you. Yeah, it was great to catch up with you too. That was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Alex and I really love what we're doing and we want to continue, but we can't do it without your help. Become a third wheel and support us today. You'll be in good company with these third wheels. Aurelia Venshulvaite, Karina Fussell, Kirsty Chestnut, Kate Thompson, Sally Bremner, Jonathan Rothwell, Ella Green, Annie McCarthy, Max Meyer, Benz Bala, Ella B, Christina, Luke Rocher, and Jenny Raphael. If you like what we do, squish that like, like button. Rate, rate us on itunes and subscribe. subscribe if you can't give us your money give, give us, us your, your stars. stars shh don't keep us a secret slam that share button and tell all your friends about our show When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.